The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. All right, so if you're taking notes this morning, write down this title because this is my sermon title, Confrontation. Woohoo! Oh, don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. I just decided to throw out this title of Confrontation. And I thought this would be a great thing for us to talk about as we go a little deeper in this series on offense. Confrontation is a tricky subject because there's no real black and white way of how to deal with it. It's not like this is how you handle every situation every time. This is how you always deal with it. It's not a button you can push. There are certain situations where perhaps it's appropriate to have a certain type of confrontation. And then there's another circumstance to maybe where it's appropriate to just let certain things go and you don't deal with it. So how do we know when to do it? How do we know how to do it? I believe all this we can find in Scripture because God wants us to maintain unity and he wants us to walk in peace and joy and love. Amen. And so because of that, we want to make sure that we know how to do this and when to do it. We don't want to be caught on the side of being too passive where we let people run over us and let them just treat us like they're, we're their doormat. We don't want to be on the other side where we're that person who, when you see them coming, you're going to go, oh boy, they're going to come tell me about something they're offended about. So we don't want to be on either side of the extreme. We want to make sure we approach this in a balanced way, in a healthy way, in a God-honoring way that would glorify God and that would point people to Jesus. And so we want to know, first of all, that there is a difference between confronting sin and confronting offense. It's difference. There's a difference between confronting sin and confronting offense. Today, we're going to talk specifically about confronting offense. Now, sometimes someone's sin is offensive, and that definitely does apply. So I'm not saying that offense is not sinful. It definitely can be. But at the same time, I want us to talk about offense because when you're offended, it doesn't mean that the other person did something sinful every single time. Sometimes you can be offended about something that perhaps the other person didn't do that was necessarily sinful, but it's your perception and the way you took it and the way you received it, and you're upset, and so it's your issue. It's your issue to deal with. How many times has someone come to you to talk to you about something that they were upset with you about and you had no idea? Oh my, I had no idea. Oh my goodness, I apologize. I had no idea. I I didn't mean to come across that way, or I didn't mean to neglect to call you back or to follow through on what I said I was going to do. Oh, I I apologize. How many times did that happen? That person didn't necessarily sin, but if we hold on to that and we don't let that go and we get upset and we stay bitter and offended, then we become the person that is actually sinning and the offense becomes a stumbling block for us. It becomes a stumbling block for you and for me. And so we need to realize this is our issue. And we'll do this over and over again. We'll do this over and over again. And sometimes we will get so offended and so upset at other people that we will actually hand our offense to other people. We'll say, here you go. I'm offended. Why don't you be offended with me? We'll do it to our spouse. Here, here, honey, take my offense. Here, son or daughter, take my offense. Here, co-worker, here, neighbor, take my offense. Here, fellow church member, take my offense. And we can all form this sort of club where we're just all mad. The danger in this, especially in our family relationships, is that our children will take on an offense from something that didn't even happen to them. And then they'll hand it down to their children. And next thing you know, we're the Hatfields and the McCoys, and we're fighting about something we didn't even know we was fighting about. 
And we're handing this stuff down. That's called a generational curse. It's a generational cycle of offense that just keeps getting handed and passed down over and over again. Sometimes you, you might have grown up in a family that you are a first-generation churchgoer because your family before you, your parents and their parents, got mad at some pastor or some church. And because they got hurt and wounded, they handed that down to their children. And they said, well, we don't want to go to no church. We don't want to go deal with no Christian people. They're all hypocrites anyways. And then they hand it down to their kids. Somebody's got to break that cycle, amen? amen. Somebody's got to break that thing, and somebody's got to confront this deal. Now, there is a difference between confronting offense and confronting sin. The offense that someone else has caused you may be a result of sin for sure. And if that's the case, you confront the sin. But you've got to always remember, whether it's something that they did that's sinful or whether it's an offense that you took, the issue is still yours. The issue is still yours. I confronted someone that deeply hurt me one time. I mean, this person cut me to the core. It hurt really bad. And I went to this person and said, hey, what you did really, it really hurt me. And I just want to let you know this really bothered me. And I don't want this between us in our relationship, but this really hurt. And you know what the person said? Well, I'm sorry that you were offended. Which makes me want to go like offended 2.0. I'm going to a whole nother level. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm going to a whole nother level of offense. You, I am re-offended. And here I was trying to make it right. Because here's the deal. I cannot control the way other people respond. You can try all you want. You can try to control. You can try to manipulate. You can try to set the circumstance just right. But you cannot control the way people are going to respond. Let's go to the Word in the book of Matthew chapter 7. If you've got your Bible this morning, open up to Matthew 7. Jesus is talking here in Matthew 7, and he just let off on this speech where he's given a sermon, this message about judging other people. And this is a famous thing that Jesus said about judging other people, and we need to look at something that Jesus said to these people he was speaking to and what he's speaking to us today. Matthew 7 and verse 3 says, Why do you see the speck? that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I want you to see something in this, because we always only read half of this text. And we don't really look at it holistically. We just focus on, on the fact that we need to basically look at the plank in our own eye. But he said, he didn't say don't deal with the speck. He didn't say leave the speck alone. He just said the proper way to deal with the speck is to deal with the plank first. Amen. He didn't say ignore the speck, sweep the speck under the rug and just pretend like it didn't happen. He didn't say that. He said deal with the speck, but only after you've dealt with the plank, the log in your own eye. In other words, deal with your own issue before you go and confront, and your issue is the offense. All right? So before you go to try to help someone, you want to be able to see clearly and see in love instead of you just showing them how right you are and how wrong they are. Because you can't control the way people respond. When someone doesn't respond the way you'd like for them, when you confront, you are the one with the plank in your eye. You are the one who's confronting the other person so you can see more clearly, not so they can see more clearly. All right. <laughs> Let me say that again. Right. Yeah, you, you need to, to deal with this and confront so you can see more clearly. Not so necessarily they can see more clearly because confrontation helps me guard my heart 
by getting the plank out of my eye instead of me focusing on what I cannot control. I can't control what that person says or does. I can't control whether they go, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I'm sorry. You're sorry. Let's hug. Let's kiss. Oh, we're best friends again. Cue the music. <laughs> Happy ending. It doesn't always work that way. So when I confront, it's not for me to be proven right. It's not so they can see how right I was and how wrong they were. Instead, it's so I can get the plank out of my eye. I want to help them if I can. I want to help them with the speck. But how many times have you lost sleep over something you're upset about that that person, they're sleeping just fine? It's your plank. It's your log. It's your obstruction. It's the thing in your eye. Confrontation is going to help you guard your heart instead of focusing on what you cannot control. You cannot control that other person. The more you try to control the other person's response, the more your offense grows. They have the speck. You've got the plank. This is why we always confront in love. We always confront in love. There is a right way to do this. We are always to confront in love. Here's what I said last week. If reconciliation is the goal of confrontation, not you being right, then you will always confront in love regardless of the response of the other person. So it doesn't matter how they respond. That's not the end game is how they respond and your peace and your joy and your love is contingent upon their response. No, your peace, your love, your joy has to be contingent upon the fact that you know that you're doing the God-honoring thing that's going to bring glory to Him and you can't control what they do. Just like if God tells you to go do something for someone, it's not necessarily so you'll get a certain response, it's so you'll be obedient and trust Him. Because He's working on their heart behind the scenes and you don't even know what's going on. You don't know what depth God is dealing with that person on. You don't know what's happening when you leave the office with that conversation you had with your coworker. You don't know what's happening after you told that waiter or waitress at the restaurant you were going to pray for them today. You don't know what God is doing. Your job is not the result. Your job is to be obedient, right? So if reconciliation is the goal of confrontation, not you being proven right, then you'll always confront in love. You always will. It doesn't matter how they respond. It doesn't matter what the other person does. You have to go into it with a goal of reconciliation. You have to make sure that your heart is set on reconciliation being the goal, not them going, oh, well, you know what? You're real smart. I'm real dumb. You're right. I'm wrong. That can't be the goal. Man, there's so many times we want to just be, we want to be proven right. And we want to be proven right so bad sometimes that we will gather ourselves up some people that will champion our cause and will spread gossip and will spread negativity and other people will get on our side and we'll get an army against another person or another company or another church or another pastor or another leader or another family member and we'll get all these people on our side so we can be right and we can see how wrong they are. But neither side is repenting and both sides are doing something very sinful and they're not reconciling. Instead, we're just in our right camp, and they're in I'm, I'm right camp, and I'm in a you're wrong camp, and they're in a you're wrong camp, and we're divided, and that hurts the body of Christ. It hurts families, it hurts friends, it hurts coworkers, it hurts business, it hurts people, and people take this junk and they pass it down to their kids and their grandkids, and everybody stays mad at everybody. Amen. That's not God honoring. That's not what I see in Scripture. I see Jesus who was beaten to the point where he was unrecognizable, nailed to a cross, spit on, mocked, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what I see. 
And if I have been a recipient of the kind of grace that has been freely given to me, something I didn't have to earn, something I could, didn't have to work for, something he gave freely as a gift, I receive it by faith, then I don't give it just to be a container of it. No, I give it to be a conduit of it. So therefore I give and I flow out. That's how I know I've got it. Amen? Amen. I know I've got it because I can give it. You can't give something you don't have. So if I have love, if I have forgiveness, I should be able to give love and give forgiveness because I understand the value of what I've been given. And I all of a sudden I become a conduit of the mercy and the grace and the love of God. Go over to the book of Leviticus chapter 19. We're going to go Old Testament for a minute. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, we're going to look at verse 17 and 18. Leviticus 19, verse 17 and 18. The Bible says this, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. You shall confront, is what he's saying. He's saying don't hate, instead confront frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. That means you're not going to want to wish him evil. That means you're not going to celebrate when he fails or stumbles. That means you're not going to get excited when you go, well, haha, it didn't work out. I knew it wouldn't work out. That guy's a jerk anyways. Oh, I knew that church was going to close its doors. Oh, I knew that business was going to close its doors. Oh, I knew that family member was going to lose their house. <laughs> you don't rejoice in that stuff. He said, instead, he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he says. He said, for I am the Lord. You see, love does something to us. Love does two things. Love is one that will overlook offense, and love is one that will confront offense. Because there are many passages in Scripture where you will see instances of love overlooking an offense, and then you'll see many passages where love confronts. So which one is it? Do I overlook, and do I just pretend like it never happened, or do I confront and do I deal with every little issue? So it's like if somebody walked by you today in church and they didn't say hello and you get all uptight over it, do you overlook that or do you go talk to them about it? How do I know, how do I know what to do? Are they mad at me? If someone didn't respond to your text message, hello somebody. Someone didn't respond to your text message or someone didn't like your Facebook post. What are you going to get all uptight about it? Are you going to lose sleep over it? Or are you going to overlook it? How do I deal with it? Do I talk to him about it or do I not talk to him about it? Well, I want to help you this morning. I want to talk about situations to overlook in love because love does overlook. And then love also confronts. It does both. And so I want to help give you some measurements, some metrics to be able to help gauge better to know when to overlook and when to confront. And th this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch, but I believe that it's going to help you and I believe it will help you to learn how to confront and how to be that person that's walking in the love of God. So situations to overlook would be things like when someone is apologetic and they repent. When someone's apologetic and repent, I, I need to let that thing go because they are apolo apologizing, they're repenting. There was a time when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma and our pastor's wife had decided she was going to make a meal for me and my wife. She was going to make us this homemade lasagna that took all day long. All right, this thing was like a major, major meal that was taking forever. It's a secret family recipe, right? One of those deals, but it takes all day to prepare. Well, me and my wife, we were excited to get to go to their home, and this was in the days before, you know, text messaging and all that stuff. This is when you bought like a cell phone with 30 minutes on it. It was $250 a month. 
Do you guys remember those days? This, this was back then when it was that expensive. So it wasn't like, you know, you could just always call someone. That was like more for emergencies only. It wasn't, hey, how you doing? You know, it was more for emergencies. And so my wife and I were going to go look at a house that we were considering buying. And we got caught up with this guy that owned the house. And we were talking and talking and talking. And next thing you know, the time passed for us to be at the pastor's house for the meal that his wife had spent all day preparing. And I look at my watch and I go, oh, shoot, we got to go. I'm so sorry. We got to get in the car. We got to go now. We're going to be late over at pastor's house. His wife's been cooking all day. And we get to the front door. And let me tell you something. We were met with an unhappy pastor's wife. She was ice cold. She looked at us and she said, you're late. And we said, we're so sorry. We know. I apologize. We, we, we are late. It, it's our fault. We didn't blame anybody. We, we said, we just got distracted. Man, will you please forgive us? I'm so sorry. We, oh, man, just please forgive us. We're, she said, well, come on in. And she made us our place. The woman didn't say two words all night long. And pastor, he was trying to play it cool. He's like, well, so you guys looking at a house, huh? <laughs> he knew mama wasn't happy. He knew this was not a good situation. That was the most uncomfortable meal I've ever eaten in my life. And man, I was trying to wolf that stuff down and look for a way to get out of that house. But the whole time I was uncomfortable, and I probably apologized a thousand times. Have you ever been in a situation where you just kept telling somebody over and over again, I'm sorry, I apologize, I was wrong? You, you even admitted you were wrong, but they didn't let it go. You ever been in that situation? I knew they didn't let it go because the next day was Sunday, and when I went to church, pastor's wife still wouldn't talk to me. She was cold. Next week, she still wouldn't talk to me. She was ice cold. Finally, two weeks later, she and I were put on a project together in church where we were both supposed to paint on the, the, the back wall of the church. We were doing a little art project, and uh, I was painting on one side of the wall. She was painting on the other side of the wall. Over there rolling on, and I'm feeling in the pit of my stomach. When I, I'm just going, this, oh man, I'm uncomfortable. I'm sitting here rolling, and I just take that roller, I put it down, and I go to the pastor's wife, and I said, Excuse me. I said, This has really been bothering me. Like, I know we were wrong for being late for the dinner. That was not excusable at all. I own that. I, I take that. But I just feel like things were weird between us, and you haven't told me that we're okay, and I don't know if we're okay or not, and, and I need to make sure we're okay. And we sat there, and we had a conversation, we talked about it, and we hugged, and everything was fine. It was all great, but it took me confronting because she was holding on to this thing. I was wrong. I'll, I'll admit I was wrong, but she held on to this thing for two weeks, and I felt just this in, incredible weight, and I hated being around her. I tried to forget about it. I tried to let it go. But man, let me tell you, when someone sincerely repents to you, you need to give them the freedom to let them know that you're okay, all right? And here's how you do it. I, I want you to pay close attention to this because I don't want you to miss this. You don't have to say that what they did was okay, all right? Because what they did might be wrong. I was wrong, all right? What I did was not okay. I was late. That was very disrespectful. That was very selfish of me. But the thing is, is that I need to know that my relationship with that person is okay. So instead of when someone does you wrong saying it's okay, if it's something they did wrong, acknowledge what they did is wrong. Amen. Say thank you for acknowledging that. Thank you for thank you for apologizing. I appreciate that. But then follow up by saying this, we're okay. You don't have to say it's okay. That's the difference. You understand what I'm saying this morning? 
You see, you don't have to say, it's okay. You're not giving them a pass on what they did. Oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. That was wrong. But we're okay. All right? That's the key. That'll set them free. Because if you don't give them that, then who knows what they could be feeling in their heart towards you. And then the devil would love to use that. The devil would love to use that to keep a bunch of junk and mess going and keep hurting people and keep you hurting and keep you worried and keep you frustrated. Keep them frustrated and upset. And then you too, your relationship just keeps driving further and further apart because nobody's going to man up and say something. Instead, you need to say, you know what? Thank you for acknowledging that. Thank you for apologizing, but we're okay. I just want to let you know we're okay. Give them that. When someone's apologetic and repentant, don't hold on to it. Tell them we're okay. Let them know we're okay. When you aren't tempted to share the offense, that's another way you can know you can overlook the situation in love because that is a litmus test to let you know that this is not something worth losing sleep over. If someone does something to you and it's not a temptation for you to go and talk about it to somebody, and y'all know what I'm talking about, don't even play. When you're not tempted to go share the offense, when it's not like, ooh, I can't wait to tell so-and-so what they did. I saw them in Walmart, let me tell you. They just walked the other way. Ooh, I'm going to text my friend. I'm going to tell my family member what they did. Ooh, I can't wait to tell my wife. Ooh, guess who I ran into? Mm. They didn't even look at me. They're so fake. We say that kind of stuff. But it just shows the ugliness in our own heart that we're holding on to something. But if I'm not tempted to do that, somebody, they walk by, they don't say hello, whatever the case may be. They don't respond to that phone call and when you think they should. Don't get all upset over it. If you're not tempted to share the offense, it's not worth confronting. The last thing is that when you can quickly forget the offense and enjoy the other person's company. So if someone does something that I'm tempted to be offended in, but then I can quickly enjoy their company and it's not like it's weird, I let it go. I overlook those situations in love. Now, on the flip side of this, there are situations that we do need to confront, and we always confront in love with reconciliation being the goal. Amen, somebody? All right, so here are those situations that I believe apply. And again, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just some things that I hope will help you. Number one, when the situation replays over and over again in your mind, you know when that thing gets stuck on replay over and over again? Uh, it's time to confront. Because if you don't, that thing's going to play and it's going to be like a drill. It's going to keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper into your heart. Allowing that poison, allowing that toxic junk to get in your heart and your life. And it's going to become a stumbling block for you. And it's going to keep drilling deeper and deeper. When you keep thinking about it over and over again, it, you need to confront it. It's a situation you need to confront. The second situation would be when the mention of that person or being around them makes you think about what they did. If you can't be around somebody or hear their name mentioned without you thinking about what they did, then you've got an issue. It's your plank. You hearing what I'm saying today? Amen. It's your plank, all right? It doesn't mean that what they did was right or wrong. That is, that's a moot point. The point is, is that you have got a plank that you've got to deal with. Because at the end of the day, it's your plank. It's their speck, but it's your plank. And you are told to deal with your plank before you deal with their speck. So you got to handle your plank if you're thinking about somebody right now that you're upset at. That's your plank. you got to handle business. The third thing is when you cannot be genuinely happy for that person. They, 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 they buy a new house. They get a promotion. They 
uh, are expecting a new child, and you can't be happy for that person. I don't care if it's your ex-spouse. It doesn't matter. If you can't genuinely be happy for that person, then there's something there that I've got to deal with, and it's showing me something in me. Because if they're succeeding, if they're walking in blessing, and I'm sitting here wishing them ill, or I'm wishing they get exposed for the, for the liar, the thief, the crook, the, the, the two-faced, two-time, and no-good person that they are, then who's got the plank? I got the plank. It's my plank. I got to own this plank as mine and stop treating it like they're the problem. Because the plank is mine to stumble over, and I can't see past my plank. This is God trying to reveal to me something i got to deal with. If I can't be genuinely happy for someone, that means I really am still struggling with my offense. The last thing is when you have exercised the rule of three. This is just a rule that I use, and I read this in a book once, and I try to remember to do this. The rule of three is simply this. If someone does something that perhaps I've overlooked, but they consistently do it, if they do it three times, it's time to talk about it. So in other words, if I'm late for the dinner at my pastor's house and I say, I'm so sorry, I apologize, uh, we, we lost track of time, you know, will you please forgive me? And she says, thank you for apologizing, we're okay. Good, we can enjoy a dinner together, it's not weird. She let it go, I let it go, I felt bad, but we can have a good time together, right? But then let's say, she says, next week, let's do it again. Okay, and then I do the same thing. Well, that's number two. I did it again, and then I say, well, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe this happened two times in a row. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I apologize. Yeah, let's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's not all right, but, you know, we're okay. I, I forgive you. But then if I do it a third time, and she says, why don't you guys come over next week, and I do it again? Three times is just a good standard rule before we need to sit down and have a conversation because there's something else going on. At that point, if I do it a third time, then all of a sudden I would hope that my pastor would love me enough that he and his wife would sit me down and go, hey, you've got a time management problem and it's affecting our relationship. Let's talk about this because I value our relationship and I don't want to have anything weird between us, so let me help you to grow in this. How much more helpful would it be if we had those type of conversations with people? So if someone does something three times, I just kind of exercise that rule of three. And if they burn me three times on the same thing, it's time to talk about it. It's time to talk about, you know, but, but I, or if I've asked them to do something three times, say somebody owes you money or something, you've asked for it three times. Well, if they haven't responded, why don't you sit down and talk about it instead of get all swollen up about it? Amen, somebody? So here's some, those are just some ways that maybe you can kind of use as gauges to be able to know when do I confront. And I think that those are a pretty good starting point. It, like I said, it's not an exhaustive list, but if you're thinking about the situation over and over again, if when someone mentions their name, you get upset or think about what they did to you, if you can't be happy for them, or if they keep on repeatedly doing something, the same thing over and over again, it's probably time to confront in love. And remember, what's the goal of confrontation if we do it in love? Reconciliation. Amen, somebody? Amen. So that means I'm going to you with the goal of still preserving relationship. That means I'm not throwing relationship out the window at whatever level I can have it. doesn't mean we have to be best friends, but at some level, we're going to have to have relationship, and I'm going to make sure that we can have decent relationship at some level, right? Amen. 
So here's the thing. We need to learn how to confront in love. We've learned when we need to do it and when we need to overlook it, when we need to confront, but now how do we do it? How do we confront in love? Here's the first thing. Remind yourself of the gospel and pray before you confront someone. Remind yourself of the gospel. This is so huge. Martin Luther said, I need to remind myself of the gospel every day because I can forget it every day. In other words, I can get so focused on myself that I forget I need Jesus. I can, get, I can feel so accomplished in my own goodness, and I've become pretty accomplished in my own brand of righteousness, that I forget I, I still need Jesus. That even the righteous, most righteous Pharisee still was a guilty sinner in the eyes of God and still needed Jesus. Even the person who has all his or her stuff together and who has their checklist looking neat and nice to present to God, they still need Jesus. Amen? Doesn't matter what side of the tracks you were raised up on. Doesn't matter how much money you made. Doesn't matter if you've been in prison or not. It doesn't matter what kind of sin you've committed. We all need Jesus. Every one of us. And we never stop needing Jesus. You will never stop needing Jesus. So you need to remember that. When you go to confront someone, don't go to them to show them how wrong they are. But instead, go to them like Christ comes to us. Loving us. Having grace and being willing to open the door to reconciliation. So remind yourself of your own need for the gospel, and it'll help temper your heart to not be prideful, because it's really our pride that we hurt other people with, because we begin to speak from a position of pride, a position of we're right, they're wrong. When we speak from a position of pride, we're not looking to reconcile, we're looking to be proven right, and that's always a wrong motive. It's always a wrong motive. So always remind yourself of the gospel, and then pray. God, Help me before I go talk to this person. Help me to have the right attitude, the right spirit. Help me to say the things I need to say and to be quiet when I need to be quiet. I pray you would guide and order my steps. Holy Spirit, give me your words. I pray that you'd prepare that person's heart even before I go talk to them. Help soften their heart, Lord, and open their eyes because I want to have a relationship restored at some level. I want them to grow in you and help me to grow in you. Help me to see how... I could help them grow if this is an opportunity for me to walk alongside them to help them grow, Lord, or help us to grow together. God, I pray you would just give me wisdom and give me favor with this person. I pray you would just prepare my own heart to not get out of control, help my emotions stay in check, God, and then go and talk to that person. And then here's the deal. Even if they don't respond the way you want them to respond, you can still go forward and leave the door open. Always, always leave the door open. Here's one of the things you can do. You can always confront with I statements instead of you statements. You statements are attacking statements. You did this. You did that. You were wrong for that. You, you, you. When I come to someone with I statements and I confront them, it puts me in a position of realizing I've got the plank. I've got the log to deal with. And here's how I start off those conversations. I say, listen, here's how I'm seeing this. Here's how I have perceived this situation. Here's how I have interpreted these actions. Here's how I felt. And you're speaking from a position of I instead of you. Because when you go at somebody with you, let me tell you what you did. Let me tell you what you should have done. How do you think they're going to respond? The walls are going to go straight up and they're going to get super defensive right out of the gate. And you're just asking for a battle. If you go at somebody with you statements... But when you go to them with I statements, it makes you more vulnerable and it helps to soften their heart too because you're realizing that this is yours and you're owning it. This is your plank. And call it, this is my offense. 
This is my issue, and I'm bringing it to you because I want you to hopefully see what I'm seeing and how I have felt. Right or wrong, it's how I interpreted it. This is how I've seen it. When you do that, man, that really helps the conversation a lot. Another thing is that always speak honestly, gently, and look the person in the eyes. There's a lot to be said about looking somebody in the eyes. When I've had to confront people, I always want to make sure I look at them in the eyes because I want them to know I care about them. And I'm not trying to hurt them. A lot of people, they've been hurt, they've been wounded, and when they begin to feel those feelings again, all of a sudden them walls go up. And they want to shut you out, and they want to get defensive, and they want to yell, and they want to raise their voices, and they want to get ugly, and they want to hurt you because you're hurting them. But when you look at them in the eyes, something changes when you look somebody in the eyes. You look them in the eyes, and you be gentle, because Proverbs 15 and 1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. You know what shouting does? It makes the other person want to shout louder. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I know that when we, you start shouting, somebody else wants to get louder and louder and louder. You don't know. No, you don't know. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. And then that always tends to work and bring people together. Uh, yeah, that doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. Trying to outshout the other person or make the other person feel inferior or make them feel stupid or make them feel bad. That never works. Those are tools of manipulation. Those are things that we try to use in order to gain the advantage of this, as if somehow us holding on to the offense gives us the upper hand. Listen to me this morning. You holding on to that offense does not give you any advantage. It does not give you the upper hand. That thing you've been holding on to, it doesn't give you any advantage at all. Matter of fact, it puts you at a disadvantage because you're carrying around something that's growing uglier and uglier and uglier. And it's affecting you in ways that you probably don't even see. And it's affecting those around you in ways you probably don't even see. So you need to speak honestly. And by honestly, I mean you need to make sure you say what you really want to say. Because too many times when people approach someone to confront them in love, they get too passive with it. And they don't really speak from their heart. And they don't really let people know the truth. And so instead, that, that's kind of, if I err on one of those sides, I'm not the super aggressive person. I'm the person that's probably a little too nice, that lets people get away with too much for too long, and they run over me sometimes. That, that's more of my personality and my demeanor. I'm not, I'm not a very confrontational person. But at the same time, that doesn't give me an excuse to just keep letting people do things that are either affecting me or that are affecting themselves or affecting other people. I, I have to stand up for what's right, and I have to know when to confront, right? And so when it's time for me to confront, I kind of have to muster up a little bit of courage. And I kind of have to take a deep breath. And I have to go, okay, I have to talk to this person. And I have to make sure that I do it gently, that I do it in a way that's God-honoring, that I don't, my I don't let my emotions get in the driver's seat, and that I pray, and that I remind myself of the gospel, but I have to be honest. And I have to make sure that I say what I really wanted to say and let them know truly how I've been feeling and the things that I have been holding on to. And then if I have been holding on to stuff, guess what I do? Number four, I ask them to forgive me. What if you lead off the confrontation that you need to have by asking the other person for forgiveness? <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha, 
ask them for forgiveness. They're the ones who did me wrong. Yeah, but you've been holding on to it. So I'm pretty sure that two wrongs don't make a right. I'm pretty sure that you holding on to that doesn't give you any advantage at all. And you got to let that stuff go, and you got to come out of the gate saying, listen, I just wanted you to know that I've been dealing with offense from this situation, and I want to ask you to forgive me for holding on to the offense. I want you to forgive me for holding on to the feelings and the anger and the frustration and then the negative things I've said about you. That's not right, and I need you to forgive me, so I'm coming to you to repent. And I want you to know this is how I've been feeling. Man, you come at somebody like that, all of a sudden God begins to work on their heart because you you catch them off guard when you come at them like that. When you come at somebody like that, instead of being trying to be proven right, what do they do? They go, what? what? People don't know how to respond to that. You want to blow your kids' minds? Apologize to them. (laughs) Kids look at you like, what? They They don't know how to handle that. What if you let your emotions get a hold of you or maybe you had a bad day at work and you took it out on them and you apologize to your child? If you apologize to your child, your child just goes, brain malfunction, do not know how to process. I don't know how to deal with that. But you show them you're real. You show them you're vulnerable. You show them you can be wrong and you're okay with being wrong and really admitting that you were wrong. I shouldn't have done this, guys. I shouldn't have had this conversation. I shouldn't have had that tone. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have been so angry. Will you forgive me? I've asked my kids at little ages to forgive me. Dumb stuff that I do when I fly off the handle. I'll fly off the handle when I had a bad day. Pastors have bad days. Amen. <laughs> I say stupid stuff. I let my emotions get ahead of me. I made bad decisions. And when I do, i got to respond just like everybody else. I don't get a pass in heaven. i got to go, Lord, forgive me, and then go to the person and say, Honey, will you forgive me? Son, will you forgive me? Daughter, will you forgive me? Friend, will you forgive me? I don't want to just keep sweeping that stuff under the rug. I want to make sure that I'm being honest and open and vulnerable. And then I always leave the door open. Always remember the goal is reconciliation. So here's the deal. Uh, there, there was a time in my life where I had a guy that I really loved a lot. I cared about him and uh, still care about him, but, uh, but our relationship was getting tense. And it wasn't working out with our friendship, with our relationship, and there was just things that were really uncomfortable. Matter of fact, he got up twice out of uh, talks that we had and he just slammed the door, just walked out, just fuming mad, just upset. We couldn't come to common agreement. And I told him, I said, man, listen, I said, I want to help you. I want to be available for you. The door's always open. I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to be offended. And I tried to do everything I could do to make it right and leave the door open. And the guy, he still just got upset, and he still just walked out of the conversation. And Still to this day, sometimes when I run into him, it's awkward, it's weird, but I still try to always love him, let him know the door is open. Hey, if you ever want to get together, hey, if you ever want to talk, I'm still available. I always want to leave that door open, even though that he was upset with me and we couldn't come to a common ground, I want him to know that the door is open. 
That's all I can do. Because I can't make him do what I want him to do, can I? But what can I do? I can always make sure I'm guarding my heart that when I see him, that I'm not still upset about things he said or things he did or ways he made me look. Instead, I just leave the door open. Hey, if you ever want to get together and talk, just know the door's open. He'll scoff or, you know, whatever. That's fine. God still will work on him and in the right time. I believe that we'll be able to talk and have those conversations. But, you know, sometimes you have those relationships where maybe it doesn't end the way you want it to end, even though you really didn't do anything wrong in the grand scheme of things and you tried to do as much as you could right. You want to make sure you continue to guard your heart and stay away from gossip, stay away from negativity, stay away from offense because it is a poison, people. It is a poison. And it doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts you far worse. Because there's people that you're mad at that ain't laying in bed thinking about you. But you're mad laying in bed thinking about them. Confrontation in love helps us grow more mature in Christ. Here's what it does. It helps us grow up. We all need to grow up, amen? We need to continue to grow up. You don't ever get to a place where you just get to go, all right, I'm done growing. You don't ever stop growing. We all start, we we all, from the time we're born to the time we die, we should be in a continual growing phase. Growing in Christ, growing in love, growing in maturity, that when this stuff comes up, that we're able to handle it in a God-honoring way. You see, only a biblical love-driven path to confrontation is going to help us grow. If we can learn how to begin to properly handle offense, we will grow. And guess what? Guess what a part of growth is? Messing up. When your parents taught you how to walk, you weren't an expert at it. When you taught your kids how to walk, you held their little hands, they dangled their feet, they held themselves up on the table when they do this thing right here. They're all excited. They're just sitting there on the table like, look at what I did. And their little legs are about to fall out from underneath them. And then, boom. They fall down. They'll crawl a little bit. They'll stumble. They'll fall. Man, I've been walking for quite a while. And I still stumble sometimes. You would think I would have had it down after all these years. We still make mistakes. We still stumble. But we're growing, right? We're getting better. We're getting stronger. We're maturing. We're not making some of the same mistakes that we made. I've grown in how to manage finances. I'm not doing some of the silly stuff I did when I was younger, right? I'm growing in how to treat my spouse. I'm not doing some of the stuff I did when I was younger, amen, somebody? I'm learning how to be a better parent because I'm not doing some of the things and selfishness that I did when I was younger. Does that mean I'm going to make more mistakes from this point on? Absolutely. So when you grow in confrontation, are you going to make mistakes? Yes, you are. You're not going to do all this perfect. I don't expect you to do it perfect. I just want to give you the tools to know how to do it in a God-honoring way so you can start somewhere and stop making excuses. So here's the deal. When we mess up, we continue to repent. Oh, man, you know what? I came to you to try to confront you, and, you know, I really didn't say everything that I, I, I meant to say. Will you forgive me? I, I really just only told you half of the story. I, I really need to get rid of this and let this go. Or maybe I said too much, and, and I got a little too emotional when I confronted you, and, and I allowed my emotions to... To, to take the driver's seat. And I said some things that I know hurt you and, and kind of started a, an, another issue between us. Uh, will you forgive me for that? 
Man, when you start to do that kind of stuff, you begin to grow. You're acknowledging your mistakes and you're growing. So let me ask you this question. What do you need to confront that has been eating your lunch for too long? What do you need to repent of that you've been holding on to for way too long? What do you need to talk to Jesus about today, right now, before you leave this building? That you need to say, Lord, forgive me for holding on to this junk. I'm ready to be free. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? And let me tell you, holding on to a fence will steal your joy. Holding on to a fence will steal your peace. Holding on to a fence will jade the way that you love and treat and trust other people. You've got to start letting that stuff go and trusting God that he's bigger than that and that he'll deal with that person in his time, not your time, because you're not God. You're you. you got a plank. they got a speck. It's your plank. Amen? You've got to deal with your plank. So what family situation do you need to remove the plank out of your own eye so you don't pass that offense down to your children, your grandchildren? What situation that happened at a church that you've been holding on to that you need to repent of and you need to confront either in yourself or confront another person that you don't want to pass down to your children and your grandchildren? What, what financial situation where you've been blaming a business or a company that you're in you need to repent of instead of passing it down to your children and your grandchildren? What marital situation do you need to confront so you don't pass hatred down to your children and your grandchildren. Hello, somebody. How can you find healing and have your joy restored through confrontation? How can you help someone else to grow by being willing to confront them? How much longer are you going to let the enemy have victory in your life because you won't let go of that offense? How much longer are you going to surrender victory of peace and joy in the Lord. The Bible says that let the peace of God rule and reign in your hearts. The Bible says let the peace of God rule in you and dwell in you richly. The Bible says he will give you the peace that passes your understanding that will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. That peace only comes when I trust God and do things his way. You can manufacture a false version of peace if you want to try by medicating your pain. But the only way to truly be free is to trust God and to do it His way. And that's not always the easiest way. That's why it takes faith. It's not always the most convenient way. But it wasn't convenient for Peter to be asked to step out of a boat in the middle of a storm either. But Jesus said, trust me. It wasn't convenient for His disciples to leave everything that they had known in their livelihood to come and follow Jesus. But He said, come follow me. So it took a measure of trust. And it's not a convenient or easy thing sometimes when he tells us to go to our brother in love and to confront and to make sure we confess our sins and that we remove the plank out of our own eye. It's not always easy to do, but it requires us to trust. Amen, somebody? So let's say that we are going to walk in the victory that Christ has bought and paid for on the cross by doing things his way. And we're not going to be succumbed to the chains of offense and grudges and negativity and gossip any longer. That we're not going to give the enemy a foothold in our lives. That we are going to walk in victory.
because Jesus bought and paid for us the victory. And he won the victory not so we could chain ourselves again and be self-selected slaves to offense. But Jesus bought and paid for the victory. God wants you free. You have the tools after being taught today, so therefore you have no excuse. And you have the Holy Spirit of God. What's your next move? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.